This week on Daiwa, we're in Adair County. A man with a criminal history shoots a woman over a simple question. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValle and Allie Tulin. All right, we are in Adair County this week. Adair County is just southwest of Des Moines, and it includes cities like Greenfield, Fontenelle, and the city of Adair. Have you been? I have this time again. I wow. know. What about Two you? in a row. Yeah, I believe I have. I've driven past it like 12 million times. I think I've stopped yeah. it. Yeah. I feel but, like I always stop at that Casey's for gas, right? Yeah, there's a good Casey's there, and it's the the fun water tower, the smiley and face. And like, I, I feel like it is in my head halfway between Council Bluffs, Iowa, and Des Moines. I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> I don't think that's very accurate. <laughs> I don't think so either. But, but it feels right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> um, so we've got some fun facts. I'll, I'll go ahead and start. So you probably know Jesse James, right? Yeah. Okay, great. Good start. So he's an, a, a, obviously the famous American outlaw. So he and his gang of outlaws staged the world's first robbery of a moving train a mile and a half west of Adair, Iowa. And in July of 1873, his gang learned that $75,000 in gold from the Cheyenne region was coming through Adair. However, after they robbed it, they only found $2,000 in currency because the gold shipment had been delayed. So they collected $3,000 in total after robbing some passengers on the train as well. And now there's a plaque in the shape of a large steam engine wheel where this happened in the Jesse James Historical Park. Wow. Love it. A lot of outlaws in, in <laughs> Iowa just traveling through. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not actually sure if my fun fact is Adair County or Guthrie County, but if it's Guthrie County, I don't think we talked about it in that episode, so I'll talk about it now. But the original Freedom Rock is a rock along Highway 25 that's painted every Memorial Day to honor those who've served. It's painted by Ray Bubba Sorensen II every year with a different thank you to America's veterans. So Sorensen paints the Freedom Rock on his own every year with donations from the community, and there's now a Freedom Rock in every county in Iowa that Sorensen painted. And he's also now trying to put a painted rock in every state. He's an Iowa legislator and works for the House District 23. Just a fun fact. Yeah, so RV tour, we got to see every single rock. Love and then it. when we take over the whole country, we'll go to every rock in every state. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so on to the story. Well, this story happens near Greenfield, Iowa in 1951 at a farm home. There are two main characters in this story. Max Martin was 28 years old with black, tightly curled hair. He was working on his father's farm and lived with his parents. Catherine Schrader was 25 years old and a housewife. She looked kind of like a 1950s housewife with that slick, curled, and pinned hair. She had really fair skin and was well put together. And on January 19th, 1951, Max Merton drove into the Schrader farmyard. He got out and asked Catherine for some gasoline for his car. Catherine said they didn't have any gasoline, and he drove away. However, as he left the farmyard, he saw a barrel near the barn, and he thought that would store gasoline. Martin then turned around, entered Catherine's house, and shot her. 
Martin was arrested the next day on January 20, 1951. He showed no resistance when he was arrested. Police found that Martin had purchased a new 22 caliber automatic rifle at the Greenfield Hardware Store about a month prior. The bullets taken from Catherine's body and one from a window frame near the telephone she was using matched perfectly with Martin's gun. She was talking with her close friend, Mrs. Haynes, at the time of her death. The gun was found right before Martin was arrested, scattered in pieces at Martin's house. Then, that night, Martin went to the Greenfield Theater to see Hot Rod in a Gene Autry Western film. Glenn Schrader was interviewed by police, and according to the Des Moines Register, Glenn said he left his home at about 12.30 p.m. Friday while his wife was hanging up laundry. He shelled corn for several hours at his father's house about a mile away and then drove to his brother-in-law's house. He left there about 4 p.m., and when he came home around 4.15, he found his wife in a pool of blood. He said the first thing he thought of was calling his sister, Mrs. Bowen. Glenn said that that Saturday was the couple's fifth wedding anniversary. They had two daughters, Janie, who was four at the time, and Cynthia, who was just five months old. Janie had just returned from the hospital after getting her appendix out the day before, which is why they didn't make a big deal out of their anniversary. That's actually the reason that Mrs. Haynes had called. She wanted to know how Janie was doing after the operation. And then she said that Catherine said, wait a minute, there's a man at the door. Catherine came back after a few minutes and said there was a fellow asking about collie puppies. Mrs. Haynes said they kept talking for a few minutes, but she said, well, he's coming back to the house. I guess I'd better hang up. A few days after the shooting, Glenn Schrader said he planned to sell the house and farm and go live with his parents or his sister. So this Martin character, he had an interesting background. In 1939, he was sent to the Eldora State Training School for boys for a car theft and was released in 1941. He was then drafted into the army, and while in the army, he assaulted another soldier with a deadly weapon in Germany, and he was returned to the Federal Reformatory in Sandstone, Minnesota. He was released from Sandstone in 1947. He went home, and then in the summer of 1948, he brutally assaulted his mother and injured her so badly she almost died. At the same time, he tried to drive his car over his father in the yard outside their home once his father discovered what he had done. Martin was sentenced to the men's reformatory at Anamosa. He was released in July of 1949 after serving additional time for misconduct. Doctors at the psychopathic hospital in Iowa City found him mentally unstable in the fall of 1949. In 1948, Dr. Wilbur Miller, director of the psychopathic hospital in Iowa City, said Martin was a paranoid schizophrenic and a dangerous criminal with very definite homicidal and sex impulses. He made the recommendation that he, quote, be committed immediately to the ward for the criminally insane at Anamosa. Another witness said she interacted with Martin the same day. About two hours before he shot Catherine, Martin stopped at a neighboring farm owned by the Grubers and asked Mrs. Gruber if she had any puppies for sale. Mrs. Gruber said she asked him, what? And then said no. She said he started to leave and then he said, I just thought you might. Then he gave me a real mean look. Mrs. Gruber said another farm wife in the neighborhood had a similar visit, where Martin asked if he could get a job at the farm. So strange. So Martin confessed to the murder right away. According to the Des Moines Register, Martin, quote, appeared to have neither remorse nor fear for possible consequences of his confessed act. Martin stayed in solitary confinement in a cell at the Adair County Jail since the confession. 
This was a statement published in The Courier. Quote, It is another of those cases in which a habitual criminal moves step by step toward more dastardly offenses and society seems powerless to protect itself from inevitable disaster. State laws are much too lenient if they permit a man with Martin's record to assault his mother in a way that could easily have caused her death and then give him less than a year in jail. Dr. Miller, who previously recommended Martin's animosis day, said, This crime is shocking and inexcusable. The thing that troubles me is that officials in our courts continue to ignore recommendations that are so specific and concerning, which we have so little doubt. According to the Des Moines Register, Judge Prawl said he does not recall that there was any report or recommendation presented to the court when Martin appeared for sentencing. He said, If I was provided with any report on the man's mental condition, I believe I would have made notation of it and would have sent it to the reformatory or the board of parole. There were quite a few editorials in the newspapers around Iowa at this time that expressed outrage that Martin was able to be free and out in society after his troubled history. Many Iowans were disappointed in the bureaucracy that ignored the context around his previous actions and allowed him to commit this murder. There were also some suggestions that more tax dollars should go toward mental health institutions, even though the economy was poor at the time. On March 9, 1951, the Adair County Grand Jury returned a first-degree murder indictment against Max B. Martin. On March 28, 1951, Martin pled guilty to first-degree murder. On March 29, 1951, District Judge Phil R. Wilkinson sentenced Martin to death for the slaying of Catherine. According to the Globe Gazette, Martin showed little emotion after the judge's statement. Judge Wilkinson said, I feel that if I were only to send this boy to prison for life, I would be remiss as a judge. It is therefore the judgment of this court that Max Burnell Martin be taken to the county jail and thence to the state penitentiary at Fort Madison and kept there until the second day of April 1952 and then and there be hanged by the neck until dead. Judge Wilkinson said he knew the Schrader family personally. It was said that the death penalty was unexpected and Martin was declared sane right before his trial. A reminder that in Iowa, the death penalty was abolished in 1965. So Martin appealed this decision in May of 1951 based on the grounds that the death sentence was too severe. In November of 1951, the Des Moines Register reported that Martin based his appeal to the Iowa Supreme Court on the fact that he was sentenced without the hearing of any evidence. He also complained that he was never given a full chance to tell his side of the story. In Martin's statement for the record, he claimed that he had no intent to commit rape, robbery, or any other crime when he went to the Schrader farm home. His father also declared at the same time that he did not want his son sent to the insane ward at the Anamosa Reformatory because he thought his son would be better off in prison. Both of his parents said they encouraged Martin to plead guilty rather than face a sanity hearing or a jury trial for murder. Martin also argued that he had no premeditation to murder Catherine and therefore was innocent of the first-degree charge. Finally, after months of waiting, on October 14, 1952, the Iowa Supreme Court reversed the death sentence given to Martin. The 6-3 majority opinion said it means a retrial. The opinion was that while the killing was most cruel, the record shows the lower court fell short of giving Martin a fair trial and failing to hold the hearing required by statute to determine the degree of guilt. The opinion said that if the case had gone to a jury, the judge undoubtedly would have been required to point out to the jurors 
that such lesser offenses as second-degree murder and manslaughter should still be considered. In November of 1952, the Des Moines Tribune reported that the state will not ask the Iowa Supreme Court for a rehearing. Instead, Martin will receive a completely new trial. Martin was returned to Greenfield, and his new trial started January 19, 1953. The new judge immediately ordered a psychological evaluation. Martin stayed in an Iowa City hospital for two weeks to take the mental examination. Two state psychiatrists recommended that Martin be considered criminally insane. The report said he suffered from schizophrenia and was paranoid and hebephrenic, which means he does not have hallucinations or delusions, but instead has disorganized behavior in speech. So what does this mean for his new trial? It means he is not competent to stand trial, and instead he will participate in a sanity hearing. During that sanity hearing on June 1st, 1953, Martin was ordered to the Iowa Ward for the Criminally Insane at Anamosa Reformatory for an indefinite term. The jury decided in just 30 minutes that Martin was of unsound mind and dangerous to himself and society as a whole. Okay, so skipping ahead quite a few years now, the next we hear from Martin is in 1971. He was declared sane, and an article in the Des Moines Register said he may stand trial. However, a judge ordered Martin be sent to the psychopathic hospital in Iowa City for further examination, and the report showed Martin needs additional treatment. He then returned to the facility in Oakdale. A jury then decided that he was incapable of standing trial on a murder charge and was sent back to the Iowa Security Hospital at Oakdale. And that's the last we hear of Martin. We would also like to note that this case was part of three killings that happened in one month in Greenfield, Iowa. Harry Kerr shot himself and his wife, and Harold Roberts strangled his wife Betty and then attempted suicide. Super dark time for Greenfield. Yeah. So just to wrap up, um, it looks like Max Martin died in 1989 at the age of 67 years old. Catherine Schrader is buried in the Greenfield Cemetery. Glenn Schrader died in 2002 at the age of 89. He remarried to Ruth Hansen in 1955, who died in 1993 at age 83. Wow. All right. Should we give Taps a call? Let's do it. Hey, Taps. Thanks for joining. Hello. Um, okay. Adair County, have you been there? Many, 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 many times. I think this Whoa. is your new like uh, catchphrase. No, it's just, I've been there a lot. What are you doing in Adair County? Driving the Yellow Pole Road or the White Pole Road. White Pole Road. I'm sorry. Wait, what is that? We didn't cover that. It was the old Highway Six, and they painted the telephone poles white all the way just for fun across Western Iowa. They called it White Pole Road. That seems like a giant course, waste of paint. There's the world famous Adair um, water tower that has a big smiley face on it. That is the best water tower in the United States of America. <laughs> and of course, the Jesse James train robbery. We did cover that one. Just south of town. Do you know why they painted the poles white? No. They did it back in like the 20s or the 30s. Okay. <laughs> We'll never know. And now they've done it. They've re recreated it. Interesting. Okay. Um, Plus the Iowa Aviation Museum in Greenfield. Does it have anything cool? Yeah, there's a lot of cool points there. All right. So again, Adair County, 
covering Catherine Schrader. This case, I assume you have to request to have a mental examination or a judge has to order it. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, if you want to claim that you're mentally deficient for trial under the McNaughton rule or some other rule, it, the presumption is on the defendant to prove that, not on the prosecutor. And so what will usually happen is the defendant's lawyers will ask for a mental evaluation. Judges are fairly good about giving it. Most of them in the modern era are done at Oakdale, which is the Iowa Classification Center up in right next to Iowa City and Johnson County. Does each state have a designated location? I would assume, but I don't know that for sure. Beth and I just read In Cold Blood. So there's like a whole section where they talk about that. And it was interesting because the judge didn't grant them to go to the facility, but instead like one of the top doctors volunteered to come down to do the evaluation. But they had to have three doctors do the evaluation on both of them. I need to make a correction because book club listens to Iowa. Allie read in cold blood. <laughs> I failed book club and did not read it, but I will. Yeah. All right. Um, there was kind of like a mix up in this case with the actual physical mental examination report. So what do people typically do with the report after they've moved on? Once the report's completed, it's presented back to the judge and entered into evidence. And then... Usually at trial, there'll be a question as to its legitimacy or not, and the defense and the prosecution will both have witnesses, because in many cases, the prosecution will have the uh, defendant evaluated at the place of their choosing, which I should say is usually Oakdale. And then once the trial is over, that whole file goes into the, the clerk's file that's held at the county courthouse in perpetuity. I mean, they that those files don't disappear on murder cases. Okay. One newspaper said, it is common knowledge that the state of Iowa has inadequate facilities for the care of the mentally unstable. Do you think that's true? That has not changed in the 50 years since this trial or 60 years. Always been and inadequate. I would, I would, and I would suggest to you that's true in all 50 states. In Iowa, we've closed probably four mental health institutes in the last 10 years. Um, I think the only ones open now are Mount Pleasant and Cherokee. But then I there's a be problem wrong. that there's not enough beds for people. Right. Who are no, it's a stuff. horrible, horrible problem. The mental health issues in the criminal justice system are the, I would suggest, number one issue in the criminal justice system. I think we both agree with that. Can you hold people in solitary confinement before they're convicted? Um, you can. Um, there's a big push not to put people of any type in any solitary confinement now because they have found how damaging it is to people. The opposite of that is if you work in a jail or run a confinement facility, you have to have some means of segregating really disruptive inmates from other inmates. Either they're causing problems with the staff or causing problems with other inmates, but they try not to hold people in segregation or some kind of isolation cell or something like that unless they absolutely have to. But it can be done. I just thought it was crazy that aren't you supposed to be 
innocent until proven guilty, but you can be held in a jail cell by yourself? That's that's a huge argument in the CJ system is in pretrial, you know, what what do we do to hold people in pretrial? And what hurdles do we have to overcome to do that? Because they are innocent until proven guilty. But obviously some of the, especially in these forcible felonies, these people are very dangerous and there's enough circumstantial evidence or maybe even direct evidence that says they are. And so we do tend to hold forcible felons in pretrial until their trial. So we've talked a lot about premeditation recently. There was a a discussion around first degree versus second degree murder in this case. And I was just curious, like in that time that Martin turned around to go back to the Schrader house, could that be considered a premeditated move? Yeah, I think definitely could have been, but go back to what it ultimately happened in this case, that he was found mentally incompetent. Can a mentally incompetent person form premeditation? Can they form malice of forethought? So that could have been the issue. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with the conclusion of the case? From what I know, it seems logical. Uh, There are many people that are held for the rest of their life without ever being tried. There's a huge controversy over the Colorado movie theater shooter about whether he was or was not. I worked on a case a long, long time ago of a woman that killed her two kids that was never convicted, placed in an MHI for about a year and walked and never served any time. Again, mental health stuff. A lot of people have strong opinions when somebody gets off by reason of insanity or whatever. The people that I have seen where that's been applied in a court case usually have some pretty significant issues. So once you're considered mentally unstable, you're in an institution, you can then be declared sane by as long as it's by a medical yeah, professional? Yeah, you'll have periodic hearings to continue the person uh, to be held against their will. And at some point, if there's enough evidence that says this person is okay to walk the streets. How often are you like 20- checked in on though? The statute usually has a time frame, like 180 days or 60 days or 90 days. In the real hardcore cases, it's probably a little bit longer than that. But what was Hinckley? Hinckley was in for 20 some years and then allowed to go free. But then don't you have to be go back to trial after you're free? No, because you were insane at the time of the crime. So if they declared you mentally incompetent, you could not form the requisite premeditation, the requisite mens rea to commit the crime. But then you're cured five or 10 or 15 years later, it's done. Interesting. Interesting. There must be confusion around that because there were some articles that said he might have to go back to trial for the case. And I was kind of confused about that. But the courts would have, the prosecutors would have to prove that he was mentally competent when he committed the crime. Gotcha. So now I want to go back to In Cold Blood because like seriously, a lot of similarities between these cases and like when they brought in the doctors to to find whether or not they were mentally sane, Perry and Hickok, Hickok said he, they were, he was sane, he was marked off, whatever. But then the doctor said Perry Smith was definitely not sane and not in the right mind. 
and he didn't even go in there intending to kill the clutter family it was just like this thing that took over him and he said the next thing he knew he was like slitting the guy's throat what impulsive urge they call it yeah but then they were still on the death penalty they still received the death penalty even though proven not mentally sound well, obviously, though, at trial, they were proven mentally competent when they committed the crime or they wouldn't have got the death penalty. Let me just remind you that psychology is the youngest science of all the sciences. Yeah. And we really don't, I don't want to disparage psychologists and psychiatrists because they do good work, but there's a whole lot about the human brain we have no understanding about. Definitely. Any uh, final thoughts on this one? No, this, I, I always think these cases are tragic where they, you know, out in the middle of rural Iowa, don't really have any help close or whatever. And some stranger just wanders upon their acreage or farm or whatever and commits these crimes. It just makes you kind of sad because I grew up in that part of the world and you were kind of out there all alone and kind of had to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for joining. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.